0: Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man.
1: Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community, and adoption is the only thing that matters. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 94. We're brought to you by escrowmybits.com. It's fast, it's super easy, and it only takes three steps. Just register and deposit Bitcoin, seller ships the item, buyer checks the goods, and releases the funds. They also offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. I'm talking euros, yen, US, yuan, they got you covered. It's not a problem. So, escrowmybits was created to solve all the problems wrong with the type of escrow service currently around, I it you a small flat escrow fee of 1%. Sign on all escrow transactions, and they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party. Escrow as simple as possible. Everyone here, so stay up to date, sign up for that newsletter, and you can escrow your shit with escrowmybits.com. Nice, nice. Uh, We're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin. They're at full capacity this week. They're the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. They're located in Houston, Fort Worth, Dallas, uh, about seven or eight other U.S. cities. So download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play. And uh, for specific locations and more information, visit that website, athenabitcoin.com. And we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, Bitquick.co. It is the quick, easy, secure, peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. They have been serving Bitcoin since 2013, so where there's a bank, there's BitQuick.
2: Yup. And I'm your first host, Marcello. Um,
3: and I'm host number
2: two, D. And I am host number three, Corey.
3: Trying to get all smooth midnight rain, smooth, rain on those jazzed it
2: Yeah, man. Just so we'll woke <laughs> up. What happens when you just right, wake right. up?
3: <laughs> and today we're gonna be playing a little bit of Kenneth Golak for everybody.
2: Chocolate rain.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that Did guy followed on today. Twitter. Yeah, he followed me the other day. What's his name? Zan whatever. It was weird. Uh, I don't know what that means, but thanks, Chocolate Rain guy, who has your 15 seconds of fame. For following me on Twitter.
1: <laughs> you got internet famous real quick.
3: Uh, yeah, I don't know what that means. But, um, hey, hey, Chello, why'd you take down that tweet? Why'd you delete the tweet? What tweet? The the who's your favorite host tweet.
1: Oh. It disappeared uh, from the internet. That's, um, I should say that I ran a poll on who the favorite host was and D so
2: congratulations on that. Oh, is that why you deleted the tweet? Uh. Right, how, how, was it what was the results? I didn't know. I didn't even
3: know the results. I tried to like I was like looking in the little slack. D one child was like now nah, <laughs>
2: fuck that. Take it down.
3: <laughs> and I was like, what 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 were the results? And I clicked and the internet was like, that tweet
1: doesn't exist anymore. I was like what?
0: I didn't know. I just crazy. didn't know
1: if I should leave it up. I didn't know if that promoted like <laughs> some kind of negativity. I don't
2: know. I, I hate but this podcast. I, 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 I I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> uh,
3: well, it, anyways, um, hope you guys had a good week. I hope you guys listening had a good week, and now you get to uh, tune into the things we have going on here at the Bitcoin Podcast. We're going to talk about some stuff. And then we are going to um, play the interview.
2: Yeah. Yeah, had a couple With of sucks, Tony. Guess, uh, for a while now, we were in the earlier in the earlier days of the podcast, Trello would kind of introduce new topics or like new events um, that were happening on the scene and then we would discuss and then we kind of moved away from that as G started uh, this new job and we kind of just got a lot more free form. We're going to try and bring back a little more of that structure and um, mm-hmm. by doing that, we're going to Pick out different Coin Telegraph articles that have been published and discuss them. Yep. Uh, so yeah. So read those, talk about them, see what we think about them, see if they're gay, see if they're yeah. cool, see if they're if they're metro, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, D, you posted something
1: on Facebook about how Open Bazaar was going to dominate. So we can start with that. Uh, Open Bazaar released the new deploy program. And like a full update and everything. So you have a pretty strong opinion about that. You think they're going to take over.
3: I do think Open Bazaar is going to slowly become a huge deal in the world. Because if, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, someone from Open Bazaar or someone from our community. But what I do believe that allows is is that it turns, it gives you the ability to have a store on the internet. And I know that sounds dumb because a lot of places do that already like Shopify and those things, but when I think of Open Bazaar, it's not like, it cuts out intermediaries. Having a store there on the street, you know, you, you have your stuff in your shop, and people just come and whatever it may be, come into your shop, and they hand you cash money, and you put that cash money into your uh, teller, and then you... Ching, you pull it down, and then it's just like in real life. But Open Bazaar is like that because it's using digital currency, built using Bitcoin. So, and literally, when uh, I think that's what this
2: um, I can deploy explain, thing is about. I can explain what deploy is and like what problem it solves. If you yeah, so see. do that. But All right, so okay. yeah, so uh, Open, Open Bazaar is very peer to peer. And currently, if you run an open bazaar and have a store on the open bazaar network, you need to run, download the software, run it on a computer, and keep it running. Mm-hmm. Um, if you turn that computer off, if your internet shuts off, things like that, then your store is no longer available in the network. Yeah. So That's what I was talking to you. Like, so that becomes when, an issue. When, like it's, it's very peer-to-peer, just like you said. I mean, it's you're running a store. Anyone can access it. And if you don't want to stop, you want to stop that store from opening, you just turn your computer off. But that's also a painful point for some people who would like to have a store but don't necessarily have a computer that's always on or a very good internet connection. And deploy is uh, what they what uh, they essentially have released. So this is not the company Open Bazaar. The, the company that made Open Bazaar, OB1, um, has released this maybe as a way to make some money because they didn't make a lot of money from Open Bazaar. It was more of a protocol. Uh, deploy is something that you can pay to have start an open Bazaar store on the internet and host it on someone else's computer essentially. So you pay, I think it's like $5 a month or something. I don't remember the price. Uh, the, the specifics are in the Coin Cointelegraph article front, front and center on the front page. It's called a Bitcoin-based Open Bazaar releases new deploy program full update. So along with this like program to host your open bazaar store on the like, essentially on a cloud service, um, they had a lot of updates along with the protocol for open bazaar. So not mm-hmm. only is it like you can have your store open all the time and no one can stop it. You can sell whatever you want and you get all of the proceeds, yeah. you get a hundred percent of that money. So like if you sell a shirt yeah. for $10 and you get all $10 in Bitcoin, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's is as a few, easy as Amazon, no. What? Like, buying things on Amazon? No, but you're going to find things no, you can't find on really. Amazon. If you're, you know, there's... Or if you want to, like, support your friend who sells, like, niche things that you can't really find on Amazon. Or, like, it's not enough... Like, you don't have a margin to open up a real store on Shopify or something, something like that. You I can, mean, like, the,
1: the whole transaction process. Like, a buyer should see anything more complicated than Amazon after running... And if no. it's on that level, then it really is
2: truly really game changing. You're right. You're right. You're right. I mean, that's that's because Bitcoin's not there yet. Once you have Bitcoin, it's open is easy. You just use your Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: I mean, I think it's fairly easy. I saw it, but then again, I'm a Bitcoin user and I have been using it since 2013. Yeah, go tell yeah, your auntie I, how to do
2: this and see if see if it's as smooth as you think.
3: Oh Jesus Christ, that's that's gonna be like.
2: I think I'd rather. That's an episode of on wrapping with on wrapping with D. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> I think I'd much rather um, dive into concrete than try and help my aunt get technologically set <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's how you know you've made it.
3: Yeah. Um. But um. What was I gonna say? That's that's the cool thing about open bazaar is that when you're running your store, it it's it's open when it's open and it's closed when you're no longer running it on your computer. Now, I know I understand the service that we just talked about prevents that from happening. Your store keeps up with 24-7. But still, sometimes, you know, that that would be kind of cool to have just an Internet experience that's open, I don't know, eight hours of the day. And if people don't make it to your store on time, they don't. I mean, it's kind of it, – it revives that old-school I like, don't damn, I gotta get there for I What's the point day? of that. How,
2: how do you, why, why would you do that on the internet days? What's the point of know. not having know. access it were, to something
3: if it, like were if it was region. a live show? That's that's different. I don't know if it's if it's, I don't know, it's maybe it could be like some kind of uh, some kind of um, catalyst to demand for some certain product that you have. Like, I, for I, instance, I, think I, about go ahead. fireworks. Think about fireworks, right? Those little fireworks shacks are only open for two weeks out of the year, but they make a hundred fifty freaking million dollars in those two weeks. That's all legal. Framework if they were open, there. if they were open all year long, they wouldn't make that much money.
2: I think that's all legal. People
3: wouldn't. No, no, no. It's legal, but it's also it's a demand tool that's built into that into how they get revenue. Because if fireworks stands were open all year long, then people would be lazy as shit. They wouldn't get off their ass and go get fireworks. They'd say, oh, it's going to be there tomorrow. I'll get there. Their sales would diminish tremendously.
2: Yeah, you're right. Or we just have fireworks all, all
3: the time. Yeah, there'd be fireworks everywhere and people dying and their hands getting blown off. So there's the legal, that's the legal aspect and the safety aspect. But also, I'm pretty sure they, they make enough money. They could put legal pressure in to be open
2: four weeks out of the year. Maybe one month out of the year. Man, I know. Every, every Joe Schmo weeks. that runs those fireworks stands... Is lazy as shit. He only wants to work three weeks out of the year. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> they make get so funny, much money. Buddy. He's like, why would I work more than three weeks? This works great. I, I'm pushing for a legal framework to get to stop this. Yeah, I'm freaking multimillionaire for being open three weeks out of the year. I'm
3: good to go. And and so certain things like that. I mean. If you could build in the behavior with your consumers, could be like a demand tool. Like, hey, I don't know, my certain open bazaar store that's open in this region is only going to be open from such and such to sell this one thing that I sell once a month. And if you want it, you got to be go to the store, and you got to order it, and you got to pay with Bitcoin. And I don't know. I'm just saying, like, there's possibilities that exist with open bazaar because it changes the idea of having this online store. Like hosted by Shopify or by eBay or by Amazon, where you're getting reamed in fees and you're just getting dominated. Do you actually have your own online that is yours right now? You the could.
2: transaction fees are kind of high still.
3: They are what are they for Bitcoin?
2: Yeah, five ten, is Bitcoin like 10 cents. I think. It's a little
3: high, it's like ten cents. Ten yeah. cents is
2: pretty high. For They've been trans- discussing how, how they can lower it. Scale. There they go. <laughs> they fucking scale. That's how you lower it.
3: What do you mean by scale? you mean mining scaling or
2: you people using You need to scale it? with a number of users in Bitcoin. <laughs> and this is something that somebody brought yep. up in, uh, in the Slack. I think it was in the Slack. It is like scaling. <laughs> There's a lot of different types of scaling. Lightning Network will scale the number of transactions between users tremendously. Uh, there's probably a little bit more that it will do that other people don't quite realize. There will, be, there will be scaling in the number of transactions for user-to-user transactions. So I can send it to almost any user all that I want because of the way it goes through multiple users in the Lightning Network. But at the end of the day, you still have to make on-chain transactions at the end of a, of a channel being open in the Lightning Network. And mm-hmm. that can't scale. Or essentially up to up to the number of transactions we can put into the Bitcoin blockchain. So mm-hmm. somehow or another, it was supposed to be Segwit that was, make, was supposed to make some space. That didn't pass, so that has to go through. And somehow or another, the number of users and the number of transactions that gets put into the Bitcoin blockchain has to increase. And they need to come up with a pretty pretty good solution pretty quick because we're button up against that limit, which mm-hmm. makes the fees rise. Yeah. If there is no level two. Technology, then the fees fees rise, kind of pushes out a lot of users in the Bitcoin space for smaller transactions mm-hmm. because it's not economically feasible or optimal to use the Bitcoin blockchain if you, if the level of purchase you're making is on the order of the fee. Mm-hmm. So something has to happen. What what happens? I don't fucking know. I I don't care. I don't I don't really care what happens as long as something happens and we can continue to grow. But being stagnant yeah, is not a solution.
3: It's definitely not, and, and uh, you know I hope uh, I hope they can come up with I hope we can come up with a solution pretty quickly moving forward, um, because I think this is one of the most important crossroads for Bitcoin since it's been around. Probably is how are we going to increase its block size and scale further, and I think it's going to be kind of like a mold. For how we do things in the future, uh, because this whole yelling as loud as I can on the internet until something happens thing is really—it's not working for me because I've been yelling for like months and nobody's <laughs> listening
2: to a damn well, this thing. Is, this saying. is something that I'm—I guess I'm first now, I guess getting firsthand. I wouldn't say firsthand, but uh, like I did things all right. Because of my actions, I've caused some type of weird controversy in the Bitcoin space. And that was through the Gavin episode, right? Gavin mm-hmm. Andreessen episode. That got put out. And then we have like just some crazy shit happening in the community about people throwing flames. Someone wrote an article around the Gavin Andreessen. Gavin said something to him because he didn't feel like the attribution was very good. Uh, and like, But who cares about the initial argument? The subsequent posts in the same threads... We're just so vitriolic, off-topic, ridiculous. Like know. Yeah. It's a left. It's a left-wing media type type nonsense. Like you know, blaming it on just weird. It's like, did you yeah. even listen to the episode before you started <laughs> making these comments, or did you just use Yeah, this one as guy a was just like Fox News. <laughs> Fox Fox News. Yeah, what's what their fuck? fuck, man. Listen to the episode before you start saying some dumb shit.
3: It's really funny if we ever get. Attributed to being like right wing or left wing media, I think that would be fucking hilarious. Sure. I don't know.
2: Sure, but yeah. uh, people have to also realize that we're not journalists, right? We have a we have a news show, but we don't claim mm-hmm. to like fact check anything we say. whereas we're all just talking about how we feel about any of the topics, and and then we interview almost like character interviews of yeah. everybody on the show. Pretty much, if we were anything near. Remotely close to what
3: you call a journalist, it would be like Peter Parker, where we just set up our cameras to take pictures of ourselves, and then give that to the news agencies. That's about <laughs> it. Like, that's what we do, guys. We, we're not digging deep into anybody's history. Like, oh, we heard in 2002, you went to bed with some hookers. Yeah, right, that
2: got weird. That's true. Uh, no. Let's let's. I wanna I wanna transition into the the interview because there's something that Tony says in this interview that I kind of wanna talk about a little bit. And since it's a long interview, we don't. I don't wanna drag this episode out to two hours. So okay.
1: All right. Uh, no introduction really needed. Long long time friend of the show. Uh, you if you've been listening to us at all over a period of time, you, you're likely to come across this guy. Uh, Tony Sokic or Tony Swish is the, he's a leading marketer in the blockchain technology space. He really, really is. And for just about two years now, he's been, um, he's been the director of marketing for Augur, which is a very, it's a leading prediction market uh, platform and, uh, you know, expert in business development and he likes vinyl records. So he's cool in my book and it's my first solo interview. Nice. Do you guys think that I sound play- like dog shit too? Just wanted yeah. to point
3: that out. Yeah, it's time for time for that <laughs> new mic. I don't know what it is, but you did not sound good. Yeah. Um, do you guys think when he plays basketball, he calls out his own name after every shot, just in case he does swish? I would. It becomes a a moment. I well, would. Well,
1: maybe he should do sockets
3: sockets but then he could go because his swish is his nickname, so he could go like swish. Tony Swish. That you know could work. I would do that. Anyways, uh, here it is.
1: All right. So I'm here with uh, man, podcast regular, just an old buddy of ours, uh, Tony. It's been a while, man. How you doing?
4: It has been a few months. I'm I'm doing pretty good. Uh, things have been doing pre- pretty awesome in my life. Uh, staying busy and you know doing the usual. How, how are things with with yourself and everyone at the podcast?
1: Uh, you know, we're we're getting our lives are getting busier, and um, I remember when we first started talking, you were kind of telling us the the perils of podcasting with other people, and how you know how difficult it can kind of get in different stages of people's lives. And we're we're trying to hold it together. There's no there's no animosity between us, but Dimitri is now traveling full time. Corey just moved to the East Coast. And, um, you know, we're all entering different stages of our lives, but we're just, we're trying to keep this thing afloat. And, um, it, you know, you were like one of our first like real friends here. So it's really important that people like you, you know, keep coming back and showing us love.
4: Thanks. Well, thanks for considering me a friend of the show and having me on. And, and what, yeah, it, it isn't easy. And that's the thing is, is a lot of, uh, you know, podcasting something when you listen to them, cause I listen to a ton of them, you, you don't realize sometimes that, if there's three people involved, that's three lives that need to schedule an hour a week. And, you know, it's not like it's a job, so, you know, you go to it. It it can be something where, okay, if, so, if one person's traveling or one person's moving, like you said, or one person's sick or one person has kids or one person has, you know, a sick kid or what, whatever the, whatever life's challenges come in the way, it can be tough to get that hour in. And it seems... You know, very simple, but it's not always that way, and and that was something that that kind of really changed what we were doing. So I, I'm glad to see you guys have kind of stuck through it and end up growing. And every time I've, I I kind of look back and see everything that's going on with this show, it's it's always bigger and better. So I'll say this: you're you're doing a great job, even though you may consider it more difficult. I think from from the perspective of on the of the outside, it seems like it's growing and you know just snowballs getting bigger.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like I said, it's been a while since we had you on. I, I don't know where I got this notion from. Like, I thought maybe you took a step back because you, I guess you were tired of the politics, or maybe you, you just kind of wanted to get a, a breath of fresh air from the community. And then maybe you were just going to reenter when you were kind of refreshed. But I, I, I think I brought that up to you. And you were like, Nah man, everything, everything's been good. Everything's been cool. So I don't, I don't know where I got that notion from that you kind of disappeared and wanted to lay low for a little bit.
4: Well, there was a few weeks where I did kind of lay low. It wasn't anything, you know, major and it wasn't anything, nothing to do with that. It was just more of a break really than anything else. Um, and, and I did that during the summer, but since then, yeah, I've been back and in, in involved and, um. And I think it's one of those things where you know everyone occasionally needs that break where you kind of get your mind out of it. And the the thing is with with this space is if you if you if you take too long of a break, you can miss some huge things. And and you know even during my break, I followed things. It was just a matter of you know it, I would almost say say it was like a vacation, uh, but but a little a little more to get my head clear. And and it you know it went great because when I came back it. It was just, you know, everything, there was more energy, at least for me, more, I cared a little bit more about everything, so th- it's been nothing but positive on that end, and, you know, it happened to happen. it really happened all at a good time, and, you know, I had the availability to do it, so it, it worked out, and, you know, everything since then has been great, so I, I think, I think it's something where, I, I noticed in the startup world, uh, this idea of work, where, you know, it's it's having, is working as many hours as possible, is seen as very noble, but, I think that sometimes the folks that work as much as they do uh, need more of a break to, to get their mind right for it helps prevent burnout it helps prevent a lot of things um, I'm a big fan of breaks I'm a big fan of vacations and 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 I think most people are but there's this idea that you know the harder you work the further you'll get it's like yeah but you know the harder you work the more the more quickly you will burn out which means that you, over the long term it's not as good and and I would uh, say to everyone listening to this if you're at your own company whatever you're doing for a job try to you know don't don't be ashamed to take a week off don't be afraid to take you know uh, some time off like that to get your mind right and and i'm someone who follows this tw- i wouldn't say 24 7 but as close to as possible this whole space so it, it it can be weird leaving and coming back to it but as long as it's not for an extended period of time you, you won't miss a ton but it, as and as always of course the past few months have been crazy and interesting in this space and that's you know that's I think given, but either way, it's it's been wild.
1: Yeah, well, people like you said, people love breaks, but I don't think people, not many people, have the skill set to recognize when to take a break. So how how do you know? How does Tony Swish know? Like, man, I need to take some decompressing days and get my get my mind together. Like, how do you know?
4: Uh oh, see I don't I don't know I just knew at this time I knew cuz but there there's also a thing in my history like the jobs that I had weren't things that I really was as passionate about as this so since it, I've been in this space it's been about I'd say oh, two and a half years since I've been working in crypto and uh, I think that that was about the time. But the the weird thing is, is I work from home. So it, even the break is kind of like, it's not like I, I'm not going into the office. So I'm still kind of surrounded by the same thing. I'm uh, surrounded around when I'm working. So surrounded by when I'm working rather. And so, so it's not like, you know, you get away from the office because the office is your house. So I, I, I would also say I, I didn't, I just knew I needed it and it, it happened, but, uh, it, I think you know when you know um you know it's like when you when you hear about a band that you know has toured nonstop for a decade or not even a decade or five years and they take a break and you know they always say oh we're breaking up and then a year or two later they're back together making a new record uh that happens all the time and I think that's a good sign of it they kind of knew okay we need to take a break and, and get away from this for a little while and do something else and get our mind in a different place so then when we come back our our brains will be refreshed and I, I think that's good I, I really do for most for most people there are those occasional people that really the, the, their work is all that keeps them sane. So the, to those folks, maybe it's a different story. But for me, there's other things that I enjoy doing too, and it's nice to have. that. But with that setup, sorry, I didn't turn all my uh, audio off. But, um, uh, but well, you know, I was—I was actually to- apparently, you know go ahead
1: bill goldberg needed 12 years to clear his head before he could come back i guess so i guess some people a little longer some people a little shorter i guess
4: absolutely and and yeah well it's funny what just to slightly change the subject i did just get a new laptop and i so i don't have all the audio sounds turned off and i was just mentioning before we started recording like i think i have everything turned off but i know there's going to be something that pops up and there you go but uh that happened but yeah um so, so I guess that, that, that's really it as far as that goes. You know, I, since I since since then, I think it was about since the beginning of August. I've been back, and Augur's been, you know, doing our thing. Uh, we're still rolling along and trying to get this stuff done. We just, just distributed our reputation tokens, which was nice. Uh, had some had some drama with an outlet in the in the space. That's not fun, but you know we're, we're rolling along on that end, and I'm kind of doing my thing and following all the insanity of all the different clicks and. Political nonsense. It's it's pretty much just like the election in the Bitcoin space. I think it's like which side are you on, and there's always different sides, and you know there's so many right now. I don't even know who's who, but it's it's a wild non nonstop, nonstop pace.
1: Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you, uh, Tony? We we had um you know we had Joey and you on, and then shortly after we had Matt Liston on, and he said that you know he was like the true you know, originator of Augur. Uh, I mean, do you guys even recognize that? Was that added to kind of the, you know, the political exhaustion uh, behind Augur? And now we've moved on. Is that kind of the situation? Was there any validity to what he said?
4: Sort of. uh, Well, as far as validity, I would say very little. But did it add to the drama a little bit? Um, I've never met, I've I've actually never met him. Um, He was a part of, uh, I think, Augur before it was Augur. Because, he was talking to Jack, and you know he he was an individual that was involved with creating a prediction market. But you know this was before Augur had a logo, before there was a website, before there was a white paper. Uh, there was a lot of things that that weren't around. So I think it's kind of crazy for him to say, you know, I started Augur when it's like. Well, no, because there's I would I would I would say the two founders are Jack and Joey, and then Jeremy and myself, and you know Scott, rest in peace, who actually passed away, and and, and everyone else that was with the team then are the ones that I would consider were a part of that. So if if someone like Jeremy were to say that he helped found Augur, I would say okay, there's validity to that because Jeremy had a huge portion to do with what Augur you know became is, is now. Matt, I, I, I honestly I didn't hear his name for the first three months. I didn't know who he was. Um, so so that's the truth. Is is I would say he was it, it, he's like Pete Best, right? Uh, Pete right. Best was the original Beatles drummer before Ringo Starr, right? So yes, okay, yeah, he was a Beatle. But you know, did he record any hits with them? Not really. It was before they were signed. Before they really did any work. You know, they were kind of prepping to do their work. I, that's how I would view it. So, uh, I. I I don't know. I, I do know that um, they seem to be pr- ramping up their uh, their promotions of their project, and everyone calls it Gnosis. And I think, it, it, when when they had him on the show, is that how they told you it was pronounced?
1: Uh, gnosis, I, I that's believe. How I always it might said Might be it. Gnosis.
4: I always said Gnosis or Gnosis, but I've heard, I was actually, I just presented at a meetup yesterday, and everyone was calling it Gnosis, and I, it's not the only people that I've heard say that. Oh. And I don't think that's... <laughs> no, 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 different. yeah. I was like, what an awful, awful, uh, you know, pronunciation. But yeah, um, it, regardless, uh, yeah, I, I think as far as that goes, I, I, I don't believe him. Everything that Jack and Joey have told me is that his part was rather minimal. It, he was around and he was, you know, collaborating with them. But uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I don't, I did listen to the podcast, but I don't remember exactly what he said because it has been a minute. Uh, I do know he said that around the net a few times, but I would just say, uh if you look at Augur and you look at us from when we from when we officially, I would say, started making noise, you'll notice his name hasn't been around, and that's because he really wasn't around the project when it was that big. But with that said, you know, best of luck to him. Best of luck to everyone that's doing anything cool in crypto, even if they are a competitor. Um, you know, may the best project win, and may the market decide it. That's kind of how I think about it.
1: See, and that's the funny thing. I was like, "Do you consider yourself a competitor?" And he didn't think so. And I'm, I I wasn't sure if maybe he was taking the the threat uh, serious. Uh, For me, it's not like everyone's getting in the bed and and building out this entire prediction market campaign. I kind of think, you know, maybe he got a little bit of experience there. uh, Things didn't work out, and then he kind of started his own thing so whether he wants to claim to be the leader or not I still feel that maybe there's a bit of debt owed to you guys' minds uh, kind of being the trend centers and the pioneers of the prediction market
4: well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, at least maybe in this space, but, you know, there were people that were, that were doing prediction records for the past few hundred years, but there, the, it is an old idea, but with this idea in this space is what I think he meant. And, you know, there was also someone, um, uh, Paul Stork that ha- that wrote the Truthcoin paper. That was an inspiration for Augur and he's, you know, or now with a competing project, you know, and, and you're, you're right about what, um, what he said about them not being a competitor. They made some Reddit post about how they're not a competitor. They don't consider themselves a competitor. Um, I, I don't want to necessarily say that we're. I, I, I do consider them a competitor personally. I don't know if Augur as a team does, but I'm also someone. I don't think the, uh, that Augur is being developed to compete with that. It's more developed to compete with you know the the predictits of the world, the the really the sites that aren't maybe aren't decentralized. That's who we're really going after, and that's who I would consider our main. Uh, competitor, but as far as decentralized markets go, yes, I would consider them one. They may not consider us one, but in in the same token, uh, you know, again, may the best project win. And I, I I thought it was weird when they did make that comment that they don't consider us a competitor uh, because it sure seemed like it did, uh, at least from my perspective. Like they did, uh, they seem to ramp up a lot of their uh, a lot of their promotions, which is good. You know, I mean, they got to do what they have to do, uh, but. In in my perspective, at least, and, and I always say in mine because someone else from the team might have a different one. Uh, I, I do view them as a competitor. I just don't think that you know it's not like it's a competition where uh, the marketplace is so it's so brutal and it's do or die. It's more like we're both creating awesome projects and they're similar, but the best one will win. And and I truly believe that. So I'll let the market decide on that end. And like I said, I'm I'm not one of those folks who's bitter about it. May the, may the best project win. Right.
1: Yeah, I know there's no bad blood. I'm just a big advocate of giving people credit where credit's due. And, you know, I just wanted to clear that up. But, you know, if we're looking at at Augur into the future, um, I'm a little behind. Maybe you can clear things up. I've been hearing a lot of things about, um, you know, reputation tokens. And I know you've been doing a lot of blockchain meetups. Um, Maybe you could fill us in a little bit on, you know, the latest developments.
4: Sure. Well, um, we distributed our reputation tokens. That was the biggie. Uh, And that had, you know that that really was something that we we had to do and to get the network up and running that happened on october fourth uh and s- after that happened uh it launched it was actually a very smooth launch there was there was a media outlet that had a lot of negative things to say, and they actually got a lot of things wrong when they covered it and Joey re- replied awesomely um with an awesome blog post but uh it it really was a smooth launch um for us we never really tried to predict what the price would be after the tokens were distributed because. To us, it's the market's decision, right? Um, And the market would eventually settle. I figured it, I actually assumed from the beginning, I didn't know, but I assumed that it would launch rather high as soon as it started trading, and then it would eventually settle down because... Like everything else it'll settle down into what the market actually thinks like I have all the tokens all tokens do so I think that happened so uh, there's this investor viewpoint where it's like oh it was a it was a it was a failure it's like no, it really wasn't um it was really a smooth opening for us. We had very few issues, and the ones that were around everyone that I saw were user issues that were you know it was it was on the end user and not us. the distribution went remarkably well and and when you kind of see that um how that worked and just how that whole, uh, I guess that whole phase of this really worked well and and uh, we ended up having two exchanges announcing, the two largest exchanges by volume announcing that they're accept that they would uh, integrate and use a, a reputation in their markets, and you could trade on them, which was Kraken and Poloniex. I don't think there's a token that's launched that's had an announcement two days before the launch that the two largest exchanges would trade the token. And within a week, we had at least two wallets using it, and, and pretty much every every platform can can. Um, Use Jack's Wallet with J A X X, and that even the iPhone because I have an iPhone, so you can actually trade wrap on your iPhone. And then Shapeshift integrated us, so it, it was really to me very smooth and as good as you know as the best possible way it could launch. Um, and and the market the market is what the market is. We can't control that. All we're trying to do is build on build an awesome platform uh, of which, um, you know it's been a lot of UI work lately. Uh, Jack's been very very busy on that because that's really his domain. And he's see, overseeing a lot of that. Uh, there's also the, the next step that we really have to do, and, and something that we actually changed, um, passed with because of the DAO hack was the security. And I a couple, about a month or I think a month or two ago, a Joey made the announcement that all of the Augur code would comply with NASA and the Jet Propulsion Labs coding guidelines. The, I think it's the MISRA guidelines, which is the Motor Industry Software Reliability Association, if I'm right. And there was a bunch of other recommendations uh, that were kind of in wake of the DAO hack that Joey took them all into consideration and, and decided okay, we're going to make sure that the code meets all these standards before security audits and that that will make the audit process easier but it will also make sure that you know there's all that it's as secure as possible uh the the DAO, the, the one the one way the dow hack had um, it had an effect on us was in saying okay we had already prepared to have a pretty thorough security run through but now we need to make it as you know go as in depth as possible and uh, we didn't want to make a mistake like that, and, and unfortunately, I don't know if you remember this, but w- the DAO. One of the first proposals on the DAO was for a, a security audit. So after they collected everyone's money, they proposed the security audit, and it's it's not you know that's not something we want to play with when when ex- you know tokens are exchanged and all that's ha- and mark let me rephrase that when markets are created and you know. Everything's operational. We really can't risk it at that point, so it's better to do it now. And that's really the update from the dev end. from From uh, and and also next week, uh, Joey's going to be on a panel at Money twenty twenty, which is the biggest fintech conference uh, in the globe, as far as I know, and happens once a year in Vegas. He's on a panel with Robin Hansen, Ron Bernstein from uh, from uh, from Intrade, the founder of Intrade, and a couple other individuals. And it's the first time that they've, that anything at Money 20 has, Money 2020 is covered on prediction markets. So it's pretty cool that, uh, we're the first and it's, it's, you know, got a, it's got auger and auger friendlies on the panel. So, uh, I would recommend it's a very pricey ticket to go to, and I'm not going to be there in person, but if anyone happens to listen to this, cause there's a lot of folks in FinTech that will, uh, check them out. It's going to be different from anything else you'll see there. And you'll probably come away with a new respect for an idea like a prediction market if you're not familiar with it. So, uh, th- you know, that that's kind of been what, what's- what we're-, we're looking to do and what's going on right now. Um, personally, you know, it's all that. Uh, there's a couple cool news pieces and media pe- people I'm working with that hopefully will come to fruition in the next week or two. And that's about it. I mean, outside of some consulting gigs and things like that. So it's been the usual hustle.
1: Yeah, hustle, man. Uh, um, I, I think that so. I guess the DAO hack itself, in relation to you guys, investors of the DAO, they intended it to be like a decentralized venture fund, and you guys are just a prediction market, correct?
4: Right.
1: So I guess the approach you guys are taking is, you know, uh, like Joey said, rush code is bad code. So you guys are, you were in the pre-alpha in 2014. 2016 now, how has the UI changed since the pre-alpha stage? Because I know you touched on it a little bit. Uh, What kind of improvements uh, to security and uh, just general aesthetics, maybe, and and a heightened user experience?
4: Yeah. Uh, The UI is uh, brand new from, from, actually, we've, I think, had a couple iterations at this point. So, um, yeah, right now, if anyone can check this out, by the way, just go to app.auger.net, and it's always being updated. So what I'm talking about now, if you listen to us in a month, it might be way different. But uh, that right now is where we're at. We have categories now. Uh, you, could sort, you could sort the markets by uh, volume, and, and there's a, a bunch of other ways you can sort them. A lot of little features that are being added in. Um, <clears throat> about a week or so ago, we published a blog at blog.auger.net, um, that that kind of gave a preview of some of the other features that are that we 're working on, one of which is the mobile u i um so it's it 's a nice little preview screenshot of what the mobile u i will look like and and I, you know, anyone can check that out. Although now if you browse, if you go to app.auger.net on your mobile phone, I said mobile phone, smartphone. Wow. I sound like 10 years ago. Uh, if you go to on your smartphone, um, it won't display that way now. It won't display that way now, but it will in the future. Of course, that needs to be worked on. And yeah, I mean, it, that's really one of the one of the primary aspects is, you know, making it easy to use. And, and so far, a lot of people, we had a, uh, some negative feedback on, I don't want to say, I don't think it's the last layout, but it was the, the 1.5 layouts ago, we got we had some negative feedback on. So I and and so far on this one, we've received positive feedback. So I'm glad that people are liking it more from what I'm hearing. Um, I think it's fairly simple to use. There's some features I want on there, and that I'm kind of talking with them and then saying, okay, as a user that's not a developer, here's what I would like to see on this. And you know, it, it helps that there's people there that have worked on. Uh, like Tomas uh, is individual in in particular that have worked on. Uh, platforms like this before within trade so for them it's not you know it's like okay once you've designed one of the most successful prediction market sites of all time the ui for augur it's like okay you kind of know what works and what doesn't so that that's very helpful having that on your team when, when you have that kind of uh individual and, and group actually because there's others too that have experience with it so it, it's absolutely great
1: yeah, right on. And I mean, and then you say, you know, you're going to be pred- presenting at money 2020, and some people might not be familiar. But I don't know, man. Prediction markets are they're increasingly being used to make forecasts of all kinds. It's not just you know sporting events or business decisions. Um, it, it allows people to to aggregate information without you know biases that that plague traditional forecasting methods and. You know how a market predicts and you know you can make money if the event even comes true like uh, why don't more people know about this I mean for me it's exciting
4: I, I, I like the I like that question why don't more people know about this you're, you're right uh, I'll tell you a couple of reasons and, and one is there's a really good piece also called uh, the power of prediction markets from nature.com uh, they did a great job on it it's only a couple days old I would recommend everyone google that and check it out it, it's a good read but as far as why, why people don't know more about it I think it's a couple reasons. One is, you know, it, it, it it's something close to b- gambling. So when people see that, they go, "Okay, um, this is just gambling, and this is immoral." And there's still that mindset among some people. And th- the thing is, though, in science specifically and academia, uh, a lot of people have wanted this for a long time, and they've tried and they've tried. And it, it's something where there's always been hurdles and for for multiple reasons. Um, and while in the past there have been prediction markets, it seems like they're only used for a few certain items. And a lot of them that are geared toward like academia or towards science are things like the, the Iowa prediction market, uh, you know, it's, and, and that's kind of like, I think it's called the Iowa electronic markets. I I don't quote me on that. I always get that IEM as I know the kind of the, the acronym, but, uh, they they allow it and they're they're geared more toward that audience, but the limits I think are really low, like twenty five or fifty dollars. So the limits are very low. So you really you know you can't get any real volume as far as that goes. And it, it, it's something where I, I I don't know how to ex- explain it, but when you do explain, here's a prediction market to people, they just see it as oh there's no value in this because it's betting, and it's like well then if there's no val- value in this because it's betting, you know how come it's considerably more accurate than any of the polls are for things like the presidential election. How come this accuracy has shown over the years to be very true? Uh, And, and you'll get different perspectives on it. It's, it's a a lot of things, you know, people fear what they don't understand. And if people, and if people don't understand it, they're going to fear it. So when they hear the idea, they don't think of anything positive. And it's interesting. And I also think it's not the easiest thing to understand again. So if it is, it's a lot like cryptocurrency. It, to most people, they don't really care how they spend their money. They just want more of it. And a lot of people really don't care about how people try to forecast the future. They just want to know what's going to happen. And there's so many folks where I've explained prediction markets to, and they'll say it's pointless either way because you never really know. And I kind of have to... When you have that as a reply, you'll never really know. It's just like, well, then I can't move from that argument. Like, I have no nothing to say to that because... Unless, you have to completely change the way a person thinks to say, you never know, but you can know the likelihood, and and you can explain those kind of things. But you know, for, then as soon as if you say there's an eighty percent chance that it's happening and it doesn't, they go, oh, see, your method doesn't work, and you go, no, there was a twenty percent chance it wouldn't happen, so clearly it's possible. It's just. that kind of thinking isn't something that I would say the average everyday person has. And and I'm not saying it's special because I do, because I don't. There are things where I think very rationally myself. I I just think that... You have to have a certain mindset going into it before, you know, it's something you can truly get behind. Uh, It's a complex question that really has a lot of factors and something that I've never really thought of until you asked it. I've thought of the the same question for cryptocurrency a lot and, you know, blockchain tech, but I've never really thought about it for prediction markets. And I think it's a valid question for both is is why isn't this more popular? Why aren't people more interested? It's it's really an interesting question. I'll say that.
1: I mean people use it every day. I mean it's ridiculous. Like I want to know what the weather is going to be like on Thursday and you know what if it says 60% chance of rain I'm in my mind I'm going to think it's raining. And if it doesn't rain I'm not going to be like and that was for If it ever says 60% again I'm not bringing my umbrella. I'm always going to bring my umbrella. I mean it's people use prediction markets every day and they may, may not realize it. So um yeah, I just pulled up this nature.com article and The quote here is is brilliant. Uh, This physicist said that there's the gap between building a time machine and actually physically seeing what will happen. I mean, that gap is extraordinary. And I think people need to take time to be amazed by the wonder. I mean, the fact that we know it's going to rain two days from now without building a time machine, that's prediction markets for you. And how do you not get excited about that? I think people are either used to it or, like you said, they just have a fear of something they don't know. It's just it just boggles my mind,
4: yeah it, it's interesting and it, it it's it, what else is interesting is just the, the the history of it if you study it and you see things like um, the project that one of our advisors had uh, Robin Hansen um, and I, I don't know the name of it and I should i I, I really should I'm, I'm slipping on this one, but it was for um, I think it was for DARPA and it uh, it was um, essentially to predict uh, potential terrorist attacks right. Um, it, I'm actually pulling it up right now. It was called Policy and uh, Policy Analysis Market, or Pam, and it was part of the Future Map Project by DARPA, which is the United States Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So basically, what this would would do is predict terrorist attacks, right? And the, it was in a prediction market, like an internal one. It you know it was future contracts, but uh, essentially, you could we could have predicted these attacks, but. When the media got a hold of this, you know how they framed it. They framed it as people gambling on potential deadly terrorist attacks. Like, you know, when you hear that on the news, you go, that's awful. Why would people do that? You know what I mean? That That's what you hear, and that's kind of the perspective then. You don't say, oh, if this would have been around, maybe we could have saved lives. You know, that's not the, the, the message that you heard. What you heard is people are gambling on terrorist attacks, and... It, technically, that's not wrong, but in the same token, it's it's yeah. saying okay, if you view that that it's way, yeah, yeah, and and you think back kind of you go, this is something and the I government didn't... wanted and believed in, but until there was this outrage and the outrage machine got a hold of it, then it was like squashed. And how many lives could have been saved? You know, that, that at least you know we I think it would have been a better better uh, way to identify these attacks than we have, or at least another tool. And, you know, that to me was one of the one of the ways that you kind of can see how the people think or how people think and also how the information is presented to them. It's all about how how things are sold. Right. If you present it in one way, you can send one message. If you present it in another, you can send a different one. And it was clear which message the media wanted at that time. And whoever was behind that message, I don't know. It could have been them. It could have been whoever backs them. But either way, it, it shows you that ideas sometimes like this just aren't they don't stick as much as you think they will.
1: Why do you think it's easier to make short-term predictions than long-term predictions? Is there, um, I guess, is, is for Augur, is there a way to update in light of new information? Because, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll pull up my weather app and it'll say it'll rain tomorrow, and then I'll pull it up a couple hours later, and it'll say it's it's going to be sunny. And then I'm like, well, maybe they got some new information, and they're updating the prediction market. Is there, well, I guess, something on the kind of on the same scale?
4: Well, yes and no, because here's the thing is you can't really do that, because let's say I put a uh, hundred dollars down right now and say, okay, I'm voting. I'm thinking hundred dollars that Trump wins. Right. And then a week from now, Trump gets hit by lightning and uh, you know, it just, he goes into a coma. Well, um, just because there's new information, but the time I placed that bet, I didn't know that, but that bet still stands, right? That can't change. You put that money down. That was what was knowledge was available at the time. That's, you know, what you're, what you're, going forward with so you really can't do that then the best thing you could do is then create a market to hedge your bet and maybe put a hundred dollars on trump not winning or 200 to whatever would kind of offset that you could do uh that would be the only way to kind of make that work but uh that, that's one of those things where yes it, it, you know information does constantly come in but it would being able to update the markets wouldn't i don't think would work at all but as, as far as the other question long-term markets that's one of the cool potential things about auger um is at this point, let's say there's I, I, there's a really cool another really cool site that's um it's all about long bets and I can't think of the name of the site. It might even it's longbets.org I think and it's for bets that are very <laughs> and it's for bets that are very 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 long. It's called like the Long Now Foundation. Warren Buffett actually has a featured bet right now. Which basically says, over a ten-year period commencing on January first, two thousand eight, and ending on December thirty-first, twenty seventeen, the S and P five hundred will outperform a portfolio of funds of, he- of funds of hedge funds when performance is measured on basis of fees net of fees, costs, and expenses. So he bet a million dollars on this back in two thousand and eight, um, and there's a bunch of these long bets, right? Like the guy that created Wired. And and the thing is, is these are kind of theoretical bets, right? But let's say someone really wanted to put money on this, maybe to incentivize one of these things. Uh traditionally if you you have to depend on the prediction market staying open right if it's a private organization you have to say okay is this company going to be around in 50 years uh you know and prediction markets don't you know they they have a tendency to to not last too long a few have but most haven't so with something like the blockchain there's no guarantee it'll be around in 50 years but it has a much better shot of being around in 50 years to in my opinion than an organization like um you know than an organization, just a private company. So there is that advantage, and there's really cool bets you could put on there. Someone could put, you know, a Bill Gates or someone could put a billion dollars saying um, c- cancer will be cured by January first, twenty twenty-five. And now there's a billion-dollar bounty for the cure of cancer right there. You know what I'm saying? And and someone can and and that's basically what that means. So so what you can do is you're incentivizing. Uh, a lot of things that could be really cool there. And and the idea to do that for long bets is one of the ways the blockchain can really improve existing prediction markets.
1: And is this some of the stuff that you talked about, um, I guess, last night when you were kind of a, a last minute addition to the uh, blockchain meetup kind of? informing people a little bit about this
4: yeah it was a little bit of what i talked about absolutely um had a wide variety of questions from everything Uh, and then afterwards you know we did the usual post meetup get a quick bite to eat and have a couple drinks and uh yeah we discussed all kinds of things from yeah different i mean uh, during my presentation of course it was pretty much all auger but um Afterwards, it was it really ran the gamut of different things and a lot of questions about prediction markets, which is is the part of it that which when I joined, and I mentioned this I think on the show when I joined Augur, I was the I knew crypto, I I knew a little bit about prediction markets, but not very much. I I rarely used them in the past. I think I used them a couple times ever, and um it was something where I that's where I had to brush up a lot of my knowledge, and so so I think that's the crypto community is what they were more interested in. Is okay, all these questions about how prediction markets work and. You know, what is Augur bringing new to this and things like that. But, it, you know, it, it's always fun. The Q&A parts are always fun. And I always like that after, after uh, you know, the event kind of talking and hearing what everyone's saying about all the latest happenings and all the insane things like the, the, the never ending uh, block size debate and the Ethereum classic thing and just everything happening. And all that talk is actually a lot of fun, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never seen anyone's life get as transformed as much as yours by like a headhunter. You know, just sitting at home, yeah. this headhunter approaches me with this job. I put all my belongings in my car. Boom! It's my life. And like, I get approached by headhunters all the time, and it's never as fruitful as the opportunity was given to you. So I, I'm always, a, I always come back to that story. I always like to read up on your origin story, and you know, you came from the music industry, and I'm always amazed by that.
4: Thanks, thanks, and yeah, and the thing is, I did come from music, but the past couple years, when I was in Detroit, the last couple years I was there, I was working at a college because, um, you know, music, a lot of the jobs kind of dried up unless you're a musician or you're, you know, you're really just maybe owner of a label or something. There's not as many as there were, so I was in a different position and hated it, but yeah, th- thank you for saying that, and, and you know, it's one of those things where it was luck, and it was, you know, the the the, the biggest thing I had to do with that was was kind of seeing that this thing was real and making sure that Anyone who came across my LinkedIn profile knew that I knew about it and also knew that I, because there's so, I get so many LinkedIn uh, connection requests from people that just look like they're used car salesmen at best, or they're, and, and at worst, they're <laughs> yeah. one coin representatives, um, and uh, which to me is just constant comedy, but, uh, y- y- the and I didn't want to look like that, so I didn't, and I kind of, that's how I presented myself. I, I don't think if, if, in any other industry or space or any other time, it would never have happened, because... Uh, they, there would have been plenty of more uh, you know more experienced individuals, and in this time it was just a brand new industry that was starting and there weren 't many people that knew about it and I was in the right place right time and I got lucky so that was awesome and i 'm very happy it did uh It was something that I was begging to get into for ten years I always kind of dreamed about you know having a bigger part to do with. Because I always loved open source ideology and that kind of pro- those kind of projects and this kind of followed that it was like the logical next step to that so it was cool to be a part of um, that's why I say to everyone else if if you have knowledge of something even if it's kind of obscure you know tell everyone you don't need to brag about it but make sure that everyone else knows that you know something or you have some skill because at the very least it it the very least it does nothing at the very best it could create an opportunity so um, I appreciate that though I really I think do. you
1: got out at the right time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the the Billboard charts. Uh, I think Green Day has a number one album, and then next week is Kings of Leon selling like sixty five thousand. That's, That's all you need to be number one in this country now. Is sell sixty five thousand copies. Back when I was growing up, you needed to go eight hundred thousand, nine hundred thousand. Yeah. So I, I think you got. I think the industry is dying a little bit. I think it's going more towards digital. I appreciate what Imogen Heap is doing and people that are kind of releasing their music on the blockchain and. And accepting bitcoin but i think you got out at the right time i no. think the innovation's left the building
4: i, I think i and i, th- I wish folks like i'm heap would I, and, and no one seems to do this or they're doing it behind the scenes and i always complain about it and hope someone hears me and gets inspired because i'm not going to do it is replacing ascap and the royalty payments and and the blockchain was seriously built for that it is so perfect for this because of the micro payments and you know, it's not a huge difference, but you know, always hear artists complaining that they get a $5 check from Spotify. Well, maybe with just with, with, because they have to, well, for one thing, musicians in general need to kind of realize um, just perspective on money. I think if they understood money a little more, they wouldn't complain as much. And how much these subscription things will help them even more when they scale. But the other thing I was going to say is implementing a blockchain backend for royalty payments would probably double that for all the artists. Uh, in payment because of how expensive that process is right now and how out of date and archaic and just cumbersome it is. And it takes so long. Um, You know, that to me is where it needs to go. But it's not as sexy as distributing your music like that because it's back end. So it's not something that's pursued by a lot of artists, although there's a lot more uh, you can do. Plus, with that, what you can even do is you can tie all the digital streams on the internet to it, and have an identifier so anytime that someone streams it via any platform you could get royalties versus just one platform and and there's many different ways that you can make this work uh and and you know it, that is something that seems to go in pursuit. And if anyone hears this and is and is doing this or thinking of this, contact me. I, I want to at least know that you exist, <laughs> and, and I'm yeah, more please. than happy to help at least get the word out because this is a pro- project that would it would it would help musicians make money, and it would really help a lot of people and individuals. Um, and 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 the flip side, which is funny for me, because you know, I'm when it comes to me, um. I like vinyl personally. I I, I prefer it, and I've been out of vinyl spree yeah. the past week or so. I've just been buying way too many records, and um, I think, I, I think the growth there is about to stop. I think you're about to hit your limit where it's not as cool. Where it still remains cool, and it still p- is popular. I don't think it's going to really ever die out. But oh, how
1: dare you, Tony? Don't, look, don't you say that?
4: Well, the I will bubble say, will not burst. <laughs> I will say this, um, and I don't know if you agree with me, at least with records. Um, that that it's. Uh, it's weird now because everything seems to be a reissue. There's always, like, all these reissues with multiple colored vinyl, which is cool, but it seems like such a cash-in. And it, it makes, like, it, it just, I don't know, It it's kind of weird on that end. And, and I guess it's like anything else, you know, I miss the good old days. I need member berries. Um, I miss, like, you know, like, like, like... <laughs> Remember when vinyl was ninety nine cents? Like I I do, I remember when I can get like Beatles records or Zeppelin records for a buck. And now, good lord, no. But uh, you know, of course, I miss those days when you can go like with a twenty dollar bill and actually come home with some awesome records. Now it's like you need to go with a hundred dollar bill and maybe get those records, and they're all represses. So, but yeah, either way, I love vinyl. I think it's the most fun. In fact, I don't even know if you know this. I have a Bitcoin wallet actually on a on a seven inch record.
1: Uh, I'm jealous of that.
4: You put it on a spectrograph, and you can actually see your see the um, the the encrypted private key. And it's uh it's a pretty neat. There was this, this thing called Sound Wallet. I think it's still around actually. And they could put it on rack vinyl, and they could put it on. I think it was it might have even been cassette tape. It was some of the ridiculous format. And so I love gimmicky stuff. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, I'm in, and I got it. And yeah, so now uh I actually have a Bitcoin wallet with about five dollars in it. That's on uh that's on a record
1: yeah i mean everything that you've been saying about the music industry is gospel and i don't understand why people i mean i think you said it's not sexy but what could be unsexy i don't know if you heard like nelly who was like begging to pay off his mortgage so he was begging people to click his music on spotify but i'll i'll show my age here but country grammar came out when i was in high school same here and you it was everywhere you couldn't yeah. get away from country grammar and now he's begging people to, hey, man, just click play on my Spotify song well, so you even have to listen to it so I can get that three cents. Yeah. And I think he ended up getting like $18,000 of the 200000 he needed. And That, to me, is like the equivalent of standing on the street with a sign saying, give me food or something. Yeah. Uh, there's a right. there's a better way. And that's like the most least sexy thing in the music industry
4: you can do now. There's a better way. That's true. That's, that's sad, too. And that's the thing that sucks is like, a lot of ba- a lot of those artists, and you're right, Nelly was huge. Like, Nelly, he sold a lot of records. Like, that record and that next record that he had with, ha- I, I think Hot in Here was on there. And until Sweatsuit, I think, those two records. Like, he sold tons. And I'm talking like four or five. She went Diamond, six, I think, Nelly, I want to say. could have. Nellyville, I in the first record, Country Grammar, could have. But, absolutely, but you know it shows to you that like how how much money those record labels take and mind you i'm sure the guy wasn't li- li- living the most frugal life but it, you know it's also something where it, he shouldn't have that issue like there's artists now that are on the underground that You know, I think are handling it. I think I think the newer, younger artists actually are much more astute business people than the older generation. Um, I I, at least I see it that way. A few aren't, but like anyone else, you know, if you're younger, you're not as you know, you're a little more frivolous and like to spend money. And I'm still in that phase. I hate to say it, and I like to spend more than I want. But you know, I think most people are like that. They want what they can't have. But it's just. it seems like the younger folks are like, okay, rather than signing to a label, I'm going to do this myself, make the money myself. You know, there, there's now enough uh, popular people out there that have done it themselves where you can actually do it. Uh, mind you, you still need help and you need a lot of other things, but uh, it, it's it's very interesting and it's sad to see. And like, the, I, I need help with my mortgage things. Um, and some of them are sad, man. Like, I, I get it for a lot of the one hit wonder ones, but. You know, I, my thing is, couldn't Nolly just do a tour? Like, I don't ever see him tour. Like, why doesn't he go on one of those? Like, like why? Don't, why doesn't he? You know, get an enterprising booking agent that will hire one or two other artists and do like one of those. Uh, festival tours they do or do with like MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice and salt and Pepper and like they get all those together they put it in like a 13,000 seat shed and do a summer tour they always sell out because people go oh this looks fun you know remember what I listened to when I was in high school and, and why doesn't he do that and get like I don't. I don't know. I'd say ludicrous, but I think ludicrous is a little still kind of more relevant. I'm in Atlanta, so I'm jaded. But get a couple other rappers from that era that were popular and and go on tour together and and do something like that. That's what he should do because that's. I mean, for musicians, that's where the money's at, and that and merchandise. It has nothing to do with like royalties. If he's re- relying on that and that's his strategy, I mean. I'd rather just him start up a Kickstarter at that point rather than keep clicking on Spotify.
1: Oh, I'm dancing with the stars, yeah. yeah. I, I think he made the cardinal sin that a lot of people did back then is where, oh, now I made it. Now I'm going to put my whole team on. And the same Lunatics were all garbage. And I think he funded all that. You know, like Ludacris made it big. So now I'm going to come out with, uh, who was it, like I-20.
4: Eminem and D-12.
1: Um, yeah, Eminem with D-12. You know, some more talented than others but th- that was the thing like hey mm-hmm. I-, I can eat now everyone's gonna eat even nas did it with the the uh the brave hearts you know mm-hmm. so i think that's a big mistake that you probably shouldn't do uh, hey. and like you said you go on a go on a remembrance tour go on dancing with the stars do not beg on spotify it's that's not sexy at all
4: hey though but for all of those you know there's occasionally someone like the hot boys who had like you know who ended up becoming huge um Cause what was that Lil Wayne, Juvenile, and BG? I think um someone else, and yeah, there's a yeah. few of them that worked. Yeah, you're right about that that posse mentality. Like, oh, I need to get my which I, I respect actually. It's like okay, we've been struggling, so you know, let me get my friends on and make some money for them. I, I actually respect that. But you're right, it's it's very weird. Um, it, it's it, you don't see that as much, but you still kind of do. Like, I'm I'm really a big fan of Danny Brown. He's one of my favorite newer rappers, and he did that kind of with his group yeah. called Bruiser Brigade. And there, there's a few others, but it's it's sort of interesting, and uh, and and I don't know. Um, the image and heat project seems to have hit a wall. I haven't heard anything about that in a while. Have you?
1: I, I haven't. It's um, uh, you know she releases songs uh, from time to time, but it's just such a huge undertaking. So maybe uh, she lost steam or lost momentum because you know it's it's a big project.
4: Absolutely, and and I think that. Um, I don't know. The more I studied, it, I liked it and I wanted to get behind it because it used blockchain and, I, and and its music. So it's two things I love. But there were some issues where I saw it. Okay, I, I don't think 2015 you know, or 16 and is like the time for this right now. I think that. It, 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 a project like that is a few years away from actually being more feasible. More people need to be open minded to this technology in the back end and how they sell it to to music, the music industry. So I, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting. It's very interesting to me and, and all that. And speaking of music, you know Shooter Jennings I actually was able to have a good talk with him. He's got a cool deal at BCR Media, his site, where all, if you use Bitcoin, you get fifteen percent off any everything on the site. Um, and he, I think he has this permanently I actually noticed this and he's got his new record out with a song with Marilyn Manson so anyone here listening check out BCR media or shooter Jennings because uh, he's a big Bitcoin supporter and and I I actually need to make a Bitcoin purchase of some stuff on his website later tonight and that's my goal I need to continue my record purchasing addiction that I would you know what I'd love actually what well, this this ties it all together is I'd love if discogs.com added a, a native Bitcoin. Uh, a way to pay, pay with Bitcoin on their site. Uh, I would have That'd be huge. That. I know some sellers accept it. Like you can, like seller. It's up to sellers what they accept. But there's integrated payments and there's ones that aren't, so it's like really easy to pay with PayPal. But if you want to pay with Bitcoin, the seller has to basically, you know, send you his wallet. So and good luck finding a seller that has the record you want that accepts Bitcoin. Right? <laughs> it's not even a search option, so you have to just have to stumble upon it. But attention, to anyone! Discogs is one of my favorite sites on the net. And if they, if anyone with any any ties to them can hear this, please consider adding Bitcoin. Um, I've I've reached out to him a couple of times to no fruition, but man, that would be really cool because. I, I think actually a lot of the EDM fans are more are more Bitcoin savvy than anything else because I see more DJs that accept it than anyone else. So I mean, Discogs is the perfect site for that. And have you noticed that a lot of DJs and like and electronic artists uh, really are are Bitcoin friendly?
1: I haven't noticed that. I,
4: I wonder did why with, that is. Yeah, I did with Pretty Lights and Grammatic. They were the two, and I love Grammatic. He's awesome. Um, and Pretty Lights is pretty good too. And they're, they're very supportive. I mean, shit. I mean, Grammatic has a song called Satoshi Nakamoto in his last record. So, um, I mean, they're re- he's real supportive. But yeah, I, I, it seems to fit in. Like when I was at the Detroit Electronic Music Festival, I saw one or two crypto shirts and I never happened to see those in the wild. That's, you know, something I never happen to run into. So I saw it there. I, I think there's a crossover there, but I, I'm not sure how big it is, so.
1: Oh. Well, Tony, man, I, I wish we could talk more and more and more, but I think that's all the time we got, man. Uh, please don't wait 25 episodes to get back on here, man. We we love you, and there's so much more to talk about.
4: Thank you, and I love BSing about all the on-topic and off-topic stuff, and there's always all kinds of excitement happening. So hopefully sometime before 25 episodes, there'll be something interesting that happens that you need to get my perspective on, I and I can throw my hat in the ring and kind of give my opinion on that. Yeah,
1: man, we're about to approach our 100th episode, man, so maybe you and Shooter should come on and celebrate with us.
4: If, if, if he's available, and I've asked him before and he said yes, but he's someone who's so tough to book down, it's hard for me to even get a hold of him sometimes, I would love that. Um, even if Shooter can't come on, I'd love to at least make a shout out on it, Like even if it's only for a minute, I'd love to say, hey, happy 100th, but uh, yeah, absolutely, and congratulations on, on the run and everything, you guys are kicking ass and highlighting cool projects, doing everything awesome.
1: Yeah, man, no doubt. I'm going to put all those links and topics that you discuss in the show notes. Is there any last-minute Augur statements that people need to be aware of?
4: Um, Augur.net. Uh, you can check out everything and get all our links. You can get reputation tokens at uh, Poloniex, Kraken, Shapeshift. Um, and as far as I follow Augur on Twitter, it's just at Project, A-U-G-U-R Project, um, Same on Facebook. And uh, you can add me on Twitter. I'm Tony Swish, one word. And go to TonySockets.com, S-A-K-I-C-H. That's all the links. And uh, as usual, um, hope everyone is doing awesome and continues to support cool technology and cool projects. And this podcast.
1: Boom. Yeah, the coolest guy in crypto, Tony Swish. Appreciate it, man. Thank
4: you, thank you. Bye-bye.
3: And we're back. Uh, that was the interview. Nice. With... That was the interview with Tony Swish. That's just gross. <laughs> uh,
2: talking about how about that Logan trailer? <laughs> how about it, man? <laughs> I, about that. I, I don't see it. why. I don't see why people are so so nuts about it. I mean, yeah. So what? It's another freaking Hugh Jackman movie. He's okay. Have did, we had enough Wolverine? No, didn't he did, die his, at the
1: end of X three? he died.
2: Why? Wolverine, why do people love Wolverine so much? There are so many X Men. Why did Why did he get it? Uh, just because people generally don't
3: understand how shitty Wolverine was in the comic books. Like he wasn't an important <laughs> character. I'm gonna, whatsoever. I'm gonna run at him.
2: I'm gonna run at him.
3: Okay. I'm gonna. <laughs> 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 but he he manipulates metal, Wolverine. What, what
1: bugs was, me is like Wolverine. it's not. I got, I got a motorcycle. You know, the movies aren't consistent. What do you Oh, because they mess with the timeline
2: so they could do whatever they want, remember? Yeah, the last one, Days of Future Past, just allowed them to he do died. whatever they want now.
1: Professor X is old. Yeah. Now they're doing time travel.
2: What? I don't, now, I'll watch I it. Follow. I'm not like, gonna lie. I'll tell you though. But I'm gonna I'm gonna hate on him <laughs> it.
1: The
3: only thing that makes that trailer as good is it is is the Johnny Cash playing in the background. Yeah. That's because, if they would have chosen K. Perry, no one, would be, no one would be excited about it. Nobody. Yeah. And his like One, I appreciate the trailer for not telling me a damn thing about the story. I like that. Um, Really? a lot. That's why I think it's a great trailer. I I didn't really piece together much from that. I pieced together he's going to be slicing. That's a given. He's going to be yelling and jumping. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's just the whole movie is him jumping and slicing people and screaming, and that's it. And that's with people. He just gets um, more
1: increasingly angry until he's not that angry at the end of the movie anymore because he took care of everything. I'm gonna Logan. Logan, all right. Like so, I saw the Assassin's Creed trailer, I'm like, okay. Saw the movie. I played four of the video games. I got, I got it. I don't
2: need to see it. I'll watch it. I'm, <laughs> I'm more excited about that than I am about Logan. But
1: you guys haven't played any of the video games.
2: Nah, I watch people play. I played. So it's all, it's all the same
1: shit. Run around, kill people.
3: Yeah. The storyline is actually Jump really off Assassin's Creed. The storyline is what makes Assassin's Creed good, not not the gameplay, because gameplay is, is shit. Sorry for you fans out there listening to that. I just shit on one of your favorite games. But uh, Assassin's Creed gameplay is did. It.
2: <laughs> so now okay. that, now that we, we, we I'm gonna I'm gonna take this from a surface level conversation to deep conversation. Let's get let's get philosophical for a little bit, right? Okay. So in that interview, Tony talked about uh, this concept of like when he approaches people, his uh, prediction markets are highly probabilistic. If, if they deal with statistics and the you know the law of large numbers, right? Um, yes. Which essentially means is that as you increasingly poll a large number of people, their opinion on the outcome of something will always outweigh. The opinion of an of an individual, no matter how smart, right? Mm-hmm. Now, which tends to be true. It, it tends to be true, but there are caveats associated with this, and that is, um, you have to pull a, a a a diverse enough community in order for that to be true. If you pull, you know, a niche market and it's it's essentially a biased market, then you're never going to get the results of like the law of large numbers or like the the wisdom of the crowd phenomenon. It has to mm-hmm. be a diverse set of people. And when he and he said he has this problem with talking to people about this, you never really know attitude when dealing about probab- like probability, probability and statistics is that like, like they're turned off. If you tell them there's an 80% chance it rains and it doesn't rain. So they think that the statistic was stupid. Like they don't understand that that's how the world works. And so, mm-hmm. And I don't think people really understand that even physics, like the way nature works or the way we do physics and the way we understand nature is all probability. So like there's Mm -hmm. we only know that there's a certain amount of percent chance that a molecule is going to be somewhere or so on and so forth. There is nothing else than probability and statistics. And when you extrapolate it or use that same logic on like wisdom of the crowd, it's the exact same thing. And so Mm -hmm. there is nothing crazy about how this works, but you have to sample a big enough size. Like you have to get enough people. A probability market Mm -hmm. will never work if you don't have enough people using it.
3: Enough diverse people. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things. Math really started getting super tough for me when I started getting into the high-level statistics stuff because probabilities and (laughs) probability fields, probability volumes, like just so much probability. And then when you're trying to give someone a statistic, they always think that you are pitching it from whatever point of view you're trying to put forward. So I think the easy fix, if we're getting philosophical, is if we're going to say something like, there's an 80% chance of rain tomorrow. And that means there's a 20% chance of no rain.
2: All right, so here's, Maybe here's, people, here's how you deal with it, right? You start with the foundation that we cannot know the future okay I, I know it. can can, can, we, can we agree on that for now Superman yeah all right yes. we, let's if we start with the premise that you cannot know the future now how do we best prepare ourselves to deal with what could possibly happen in the future? Electromagnetic we gather, pulses we gather as much information as we can So yeah. if we the more information we gather, the more of a educated opinion we can guess about what's going to happen in the future. Right. And the more Mm -hmm. information we gather, the more of a probabilistic outcome we can make. So as we gather more and more information, we can can say that this will happen with more and more certainty. Right. If we see a cloud Mm -hmm. coming on the horizon, we're going to say, it's probably going to rain. Why? Because we have information, immediate information about the immediate future, about what's going to happen. And yeah. you're much more likely to be true if you have more and more information. And that's all that's happening in a probability market. Is you The more and more information you gather, the more and more people who are voting and putting money on the line with what they think is going to happen, the more and more information mm-hmm. you gather about that event. And so you can be more and more likely <laughs> that the way the crowd is working is the actual probability.
3: Yeah. I like the – I just like the real – the real use case um, sample, uh, the the sample crap. My brain's not working today. But they they run the videos of them actually using Augur and actually using the predictive market on a few things, and it was so creepily accurate, more accurate than like, for instance, the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Um, that Seattle game when Seattle oh, did yeah. not run the ball and said like they used a, a crowd, they used wisdom of the the masses. On that, they did a predictive thing, and they not only got the score of the game right, but how many yards one of the running backs would have. Like, they got the yards right for that running back within like ten yards, and then they got the score right within three points—the score differential between both teams. Yeah, man, that's of that's, what what both teams would score in that game. And I was like,
2: wow, that's. Well, you tap into all of the knowledge of every single person who puts money down to make. Mm-hmm. to make a decision in this market, right? You, 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 you don't lose all of the bias of an individual. You gain all of the bias of an individual when you use a prediction market, but you get it of every single person who puts into the prediction market. So it averages out over a certain amount of people to be what's probably going to happen. And it, mm-hmm. Once you have enough people, it gets, it gets really creepily accurate.
3: It makes Jethro important again. Because typically, if I come across a Jethro that's got like four teeth total and smells like dip, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like, "And Jethro, I'm really not listening to anything you say." And like, we're gonna. <laughs> but if he's if he's contributing to a prediction market, I will listen to his voice his opinion.
0: All right. Gladly. So, like,
2: I guess it, it doesn't. I mean, Jethros are the reason people will make money from. Oh. From prediction markets, right? So, say you have mm-hmm. this this subcommunity of Jethros. Just we're calling Jethro this like ignorant son of a bitch that loves yeah. talking about really dumb shit that isn't true, right? Deliverance. He's willing to put. He's willing to put his money down. I'm gonna put my money down on this. This <laughs> this just a real thing, right? Yeah. And there's a group of them, and they all throw money down on this event, and that's just that's just ridiculous someone who is watching the markets and sees this, these odds going in favor of a ridiculous event is going to be like, Hmm, i am putting my money on that on the opposite because it's, there's, there's no way that what they think is going to happen. And if I bet on this, that it's going, that it's not going to happen, I'm going to win money because the essentially so much money has been put into such a ridiculous outcome that I'm going to make more money than normal if I bet against what's more than likely going to happen due to the amount of knowledge I have. Once again, you're rewarded by putting knowledge into a system. And Mm. the more accurate you are, the more close you are to being correct, the, the more likely you're going to win. So people are really rewarded for being right. And what I also like about this that I don't think most people talk about is you have say you spend a lot of time doing prediction markets and you you tend to make money. You have a quantitative way of telling people that you're smart. There's, there's no arguing about this. It's like I, I literally bet on this and I win regularly. And the, the breadth of what you bet on is as wide as you'd like it to be. I can say, yeah, I'm smart <laughs> because I make money off this. I make money off telling people they're wrong. <laughs> I think you're going to enjoy using auger very much, Corey. I'm going to love
3: it. Just so you guys know that are listening, Corey tells me I'm wrong at least
2: 25 times a month. I tell you how um, you may not be right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I
2: don't, I don't want yeah, to say, you, say you're stupid. Corey or tells me that too.
1: I mean, It takes my money. <laughs> no, I do
2: literally take money from Cello when I tell him he's wrong. Cello, <laughs> so you should stop betting with Corey on the fight.
3: I don't know what it is, but I'm taking your Vegas, Cello, and I'm gonna win a bunch of money, and then we're, we're and gonna have fun
2: together. But, yeah, so I'm gonna win the money. you're <laughs> gonna watch Cello make a bet. D's gonna make the opposite bet for ten times more, and then they're gonna split the winnings that D makes. Yep, that's a victory. <laughs> well, so, do we wrap it up? Or yeah, let's wrap it up. All right. Well, hey guys, and that's uh, Cello. You have something you, you want, want to add to
1: that? <clears throat> Yeah, let's do like a Jerry Springer uh, final thought. Um, I, the best way to do it is listen very carefully to those around you. And when you figure out what, where they're going, stand on a desk and predict it in a loud voice. And then when it happens, take credit for it. It's going to be my <laughs> new my new process.
0: <laughs>
3: nice. Well, guys, you know where to find this. Uh, you um, YouTube, on freaking SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on... Uh, What's that other? Yeah, Stitcher. Um, Thebitcoinpodcast.com is a website. Um, It's actually got a lot of resources on it. Um, We have resources and info. Uh, We have um, lots of good tidbits. We have a news uh, tab that you can go to and and get articles similar to the one that we discussed earlier about OpenBazaar and Deploy. Um, if you go on Twitter, we're at the BTC podcast. And if you do follow us on Twitter and you see us trying to reach out to a guest that we're we're trying to hook in, maybe hit it with a like or hit it with a retweet. Uh, maybe we could trigger some sort of algorithm that puts us on people's maps so we can continue to get good guests and very informative educational guests for you guys. Um, what else do we do? Oh yeah, we are partnered with Cointelegraph. So go check out their articles and and spread their gospel. No, I'm kidding. You don't have to do that, but definitely read their articles because there's good stuff on there. Uh, purse.io. It is probably the best place to shop if you use Bitcoin. Um, you get huge discounts. Corey, tell them how much you got those
2: hundred twenty dollars headphones. Twenty five percent off. I think I got them for like seventy five bucks. Around seventy five bucks.
3: Yep. So yeah, we're talking about because
2: you easy. can be man and they've even updated the the UI. So like the the like the like front end when you when you see the the thing, it's so much easier to figure out how to get that name your price. It's good stuff, man. Yep. I ain't buying um, anything else. I'm going
1: to get my shit with purse.
2: Get, get yep, your get shit your with, job, purse. Get
0: with purse.
2: Um, if, you, if you go to
3: our homepage or our landing page, you'll see on the right we have a few little tiny ads. And one of them is a purse ad. If you click on there and then you sign up, you join our affiliate program, uh, which means that uh, everything you buy, we get like a little small cut, a little tiny slice of the pie. So if we're a whole slice of pie, we get like a bite. Um, Yeah, and help us out. It helps us get the show going. Helps us buy things. Help Corey get those headphones. Um,
2: Chill's next. Chill's getting headphones next. Help us out those
3: headphones next we are going to be standardized all going to sound great it's going to be amazing um, what uh, so Colin that's Beck. about it shout out to Mackie shout out to Ken who helps us tremendously um, shout out to Zoe Saldana
1: shout out well, to Michelle he helps Zoe. us so, out he greatly not tremendously greatly bigly. a great deal bigly. bigly bigly
3: he helps he gives the best help uh, nobody gives better help than Ken. Uh, anyways, that was my horrible Trump impression. Uh, well, play
0: the outro.